Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. Welcome to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Jesse Friedman, filling in for Tom Brown. And today, we are talking about how Voices for the Voiceless is changing culture. And I'd like to start by asking you a question. Have you always thought that the pro-life movement was a bunch of intolerant sign holders? We're about to blow your mind. Abortion has gone on 43 years too long, but a community of artists and innovators are working to transform the culture around them to establish a pro-life culture. And if abortion is going to end, we believe that this is how. There's something happening in Phoenix, Arizona that you're going to want to know about. And today I'm here with the CEO of Voices for the Voiceless, the man that began this movement and that is working every day to make it happen. And his name is Josiah Friedman. Josiah, for the members of our audience who might not already know, what is Voices for the Voiceless? Jesse, Voices for the Voiceless is a movement of artists and storytellers shaping a new pro-life culture. We believe that if we can bring together a certain set of people, that they have what it takes to get it done. For abortion to ever become illegal in, in Congress through law or with the overturning uh, of the Supreme Court of Roe versus Wade, we believe something very special has to happen first. First, it has to become completely unpopular in the culture. And we're bringing together a movement of artists, innovators, musicians, photojournalists, techies, comedians, chefs, authors, I keep going, filmmakers, and fashion designers. Now, these are the people who are inventing the world around us, and they're telling the stories that define us. The things they create reach millions of people every day right where they are. At Voices for the Voiceless, we call them our community of creatives. They're our movement, and we think they can bring an end to abortion in America. Josiah, it's a common aspect of business that people believe that every organization that is started should solve a problem. What problem does Voices for the Voiceless solve? Voices for the Voiceless, Jesse, solves two major problems. The first one uh, is we are an antidote to the abortion problem in America. 22% of our generation was aborted. This is something that needs to be uh, opposed on every level. It's something that's tearing our generation apart. It's become a free sex tool for men that makes them flee the responsibility of fatherhood in our generation. Mm. It's become a tool that fails uh, to respect women at every level of society. And it's ending lives, you know, with it, with our generation, 22% of our generation's potential is gone because of abortion. It's destroying us. And Voices for the Voiceless is created to, uh, to address that problem and to make it uh, fundamentally unpopular, to tell the whole story of how abortion has affected our generation. But secondly, the problem that we're solving is we're creating a cultural force. The pro-life movement for many years has been incredibly strong in the, air, in the legal realm, um, in the realm of service through organizations like the Crisis Pregnancy Centers, and, uh, and in the educational realm. But in the realm of culture, reaching people on the streets where they ought to be reached every single day, the, the pro-life movement has largely not had a consistent, growing, 
an ambitious and energetic force. Voices for the Voiceless is that force to address this issue in the culture. You're listening to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Jesse Friedman filling in for Tom Brown today, and we will be back in just a few minutes. Welcome back to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Jesse Friedman filling in for Tom Brown. And today we are talking about how Voices for the Voiceless is changing culture. Josiah, in that first segment, you talked about this bold message that Voices for the Voiceless is bringing. And it is bold because the goal of this message, of this movement, is to end something that has been going on for 43 years in our generation. And in order for that to happen, you're going to have to engage millennials in a message that they might not be used to hearing. Who are the millennials and how do you reach them? Jesse, that's a great question. First, I want to pose uh, a question to start with, just to consider. And that is this, what is a Christian to do? Or more specifically, what's a pro-lifer to do in the case of this conversation? In a generation running further and further away from our values, a generation that many see as full of individualism, false equality, godlessness, and relativism. Mm. Many people look at the millennial generation, my generation, your generation, and they look at it with a sense of hopelessness or at least a sense of loss. But the progress that the previous generation has made has been wasted on a generation that has now come and rejected any form of truth um, in the first place. That's something that we've got to stop right now. So before I answer the question, how do we reach a millennial, or more specifically, who is the millennial, we need to recognize this. Every generation that comes along has distinctive weaknesses. But every generation's distinctives also present an opportunity, an opportunity to reach that generation like no generation has been reached before. And with millennials, it is possible to reach them with the pro-life message, to resonate with them, and to do so, I believe, in such a way that one day abortion could become illegal in our own generation. Now, you asked me the question, who is the millennial? And that is is a puzzling question. I'm going to introduce you to the millennial mind. Done, done, done. Here we go. Ready? <laughs> the millennial mind uh, could be said to be a non-religious one. That's the first characteristic we'll talk about. It, over a third of our generation categorizes themselves as non-religious, and that may not seem like that much, um, but you have to realize that that's more than has really ever existed in the United States. Mm. Um, we are, it is more common for somebody in our generation to say that they are an atheist or an agnostic than to ascribe to any uh, religious belief um, at all. 
You might also say our generation is driven by the spirit of individualism. It's not as if we look at the decisions that we make in our lives and truly consider, well, what would be the best for the community around us? Um, or that we look at um, or that we make decisions even based on uh, apologetics and what makes sense for the whole. We, may, we make decisions based on the shared experiences of those around us. We're a highly individualistic generation. We're also very diverse, especially in the United States of America. This is the most diverse uh, racially, um, apologetically, and probably philosophically generation that has ever existed in the melting pot that is the United States of America. And fourth, and troubling to most people, this is probably the most relativistic generation that has ever existed. Mm. A generation that doesn't really brace or embrace, rather, the concept of absolute truth, but instead decides one at a time the morals that they are going to ascribe to. And there doesn't need to be any consistency between them because my truth is just as valuable as your truth, even if they're different. Those are four characteristics of our generation that drive our decision-making in a certain way. But here's what that looks like. If you ask me the question, what is a millennial motivated by with those four things in the background, I would say it's very simply this. Millennials are motivated by compassion. Hmm. They're motivated by the shared experiences of the people around them. And when they look at the tough issues in the world, they're more likely to decide what they believe based on their own experiences or the experience of the, pe- of the people they love and of the people they know than they are to look at an issue of abortion, uh, for example, and consider it politically and globally and even nationally. They make decisions based on their own experiences and the experience that they've shared with the people around them. They also fight for causes. And by causes, I mean any cause that uses the word justice or equality. Millennials, (laughs) they go for it. Mm. Because we want to live in a world where people are fundamentally equal. And as a generation, that seems to be the thing that is most important to this generation, to our generation. Now, when they look at the abortion issue, that manifests itself in this. They often consider it to be a little bit taboo um, and a little bit hard to, uh, to maneuver. A poll came out recently um, in this, during this last year uh, that a newspaper did that found that over 60% of people, of millennials specifically in the United States, characterized themselves as, uh, as pro-life. Hmm. And it was also true that over 60% characterized themselves as pro-choice. Why? Because they think both choice and life are valuable things. And even though they're in contradiction, the terminology that exists doesn't really work anymore. Mm. We're kind of split. We need a nuanced way of looking at an issue that is very deep, but has only been treated as kind of a a two-sided issue in the past. So what Voices for the Voiceless is trying to do fundamentally is to transform our cause, the pro-life cause that we believe in so sincerely, into a movement that millennials will champion. This is a fight that's been going on for a long time, and I'm sure you know that. Abortion, Roe v. Wade, originally happened in 1973. That's when this whole fight began. And that's a long time. The pro-life movement then has been, it's, it's a battle that's been fought for 43 years, really. What do you think, knowing what you know now about millennials and about this audience that you're trying to appeal to, what do you think has to change about how pro-life people 
interact with their communities? Jesse, I'll answer that question this way. At Voices for the Voiceless, we've come up with a set of core commitments that basically uh, define um, all of the strategies that we implement as an organization. We think these are core commitments that individual pro-life people all around the country can subscribe to to reach our generation in the most effective manner possible. And the first one is this, winsomeness. That is, and could be said to be, our chief core commitment at Voices for the Voiceless. Now, here's what that means practically. For many years, uh, Christian people have subscribed to the idea that the only question you have to ask before you embark on a cause of worth is this question. Is it true? If it's true, for example, that abortion hurts people and that it ends the life of an unborn child, then we must fight it. And we must fight it with everything that we've got. And the strategies that we implement don't matter nearly as much as the heart behind um, the desire to fight it and to end it. But in our generation, to reach millennials, that doesn't work. We do have to ask the question, is it true? But there's a second question that it's perhaps more important that we must ask before we embark on any venture. And that is this, will it win? Hmm. At Voices for the Voiceless, we are more interested, I can tell you, in making a compassionate and compelling case for life to the next generation than we are in being correct. In all that we do, we strive not merely to be right, but to reach hearts and minds. And that's where Every strategy that we have at Voices for the Voiceless begins. I can tell you there's also this element. Um, The second core commitment that I I might recommend uh, to you is this, storytelling. We like to say um, that winsomeness is our creed and storytelling is our currency. The currency of our movement is not biological or political debate, but stories. We believe that the best way to reach an increasingly relativistic generation that makes decisions based on the shared experiences of the people around them is by telling the story of how abortion has impacted our generation. And we believe that young artists and innovators, storytellers, if you will, are the most compelling, um, most compelling people that we can add to our movement. That's why we're bringing a community of creatives together at Voices for the Voiceless, because we believe we can resonate in that way. Our third commitment is this, to artistic excellence. It could be said that winsomeness is our creed, storytelling is our currency, and artistic excellence is our standard. We are convinced that the only way to transform the culture is to create culture. And we strive at Voices for the Voiceless to facilitate the creation of things so beautiful, so true, and so compassionate that the members of our community begin to prefer it over the culture that was there before. In our striving, we're committed to facilitating the creation of real art. I'm talking deeper and more genuine the creation of mere propaganda. Not stuff that merely communicates our cause in a satirical way, but real art that gets people to think so deeply about an issue that has affected us so personally that they can begin to see and and embrace the real story of how abortion has affected our generation. You've laid out these core commitments, and I wonder... For our audience who might not be familiar, could you maybe more specifically give us a glimpse of what these things look like in action at Voices for the Voiceless? What specifically does Voices for the Voiceless do? Voices for the Voiceless brings together 
our community of creatives right now uh, in several initiatives um, in art, in music, in photojournalism, and in writing. And we equip people who fall into each of those categories, artists, we're talking photographers, musicians, um, and, uh, and aspiring authors, to tell the story of the 78% like people have never heard it before. And at Voices for the Voiceless, we're crafting new messages for people to use to reach our generation with the pro-life message in a way that will resonate with them. And I'd like to give you a couple examples. Do we have time for that? Yes, go for it. Okay, a couple examples. Um, so most people look at the abortion issue um, and they consider it uh, in this way, that it uh, is purely an issue that affects the unborn child. Now, we all know that this isn't true, but there are some societal effects that are completely ignored. For example, um, abortion has had an incredibly terrible effect on fatherhood. Now, if I was to reduce this merely to a hashtag, I would say this. Be the dad you wish you had <laughs> is a message that's going to resonate with so many people in our generation who've grown up with fathers who have abandoned them that now know that they need to go and communicate to their peers that fatherhood is important. And I will tell you this, with the resurgence of fatherhood, we are taking one incredible step towards the end of abortion in America. Hashtag. Be the dad you wish you had. And that's just where it starts. Josiah, thanks for joining us today. There's an event this weekend on Saturday from 7 to 10 p.m. where you can find out more about Voices for the Voiceless. To learn more about that event, please visit www.vftv.org slash expo. You're listening to Coin and Neon Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Jesse Friedman filling in for Tom Brown today, and we will be back in just a few minutes. Welcome to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. We're back. I'm Jesse Friedman filling in today for Tom Brown, and we are talking about how Voices for the Voiceless is changing culture. And if you were with us last segment, you heard Josiah, the CEO of this organization, talk about millennials and about ways to reach millennials. And I'd like to give you an example of how what Voices for the Voiceless is doing works and how it's and how you can really observe it in our generation even today. So this past Thursday, a week ago today, I was scrolling through my Twitter feed, just leisurely having some fun doing my thing. I'm scrolling through my Twitter feed, and virtually every tweet that I see in my Twitter feed is talking about a guy named Prince. Now, I'm 17 years old. I was born in 1998. Prince was popular, I found out, in the 80s and 90s. So after finding that out, it made a lot more sense to me why I wasn't completely aware of who everyone was talking about. But on this day, the hashtag RIP Prince was going viral. Everyone was using it. So I did some research, and I found out that Prince was a musician, a musician who was famous and who clearly had had an impact on a lot of people's lives. How did I know? Because when I scrolled through my Twitter feed last Thursday, every single person was talking about how much they would miss Prince and the music that he brought to our generation. And that's evidence of how Voices for the Voiceless can be effective. 
because Prince, and I'm not here to endorse Prince's music or condone the messages that it brought or anything like that. What I'm here to do is to illustrate that music changes people. It impacts people. And it's not just music. It's every kind of art. And that's really what Voices for the Voiceless is all about. We're about using art, using photojournalism, technology, music, poetry, painting, all of these things that connect our generation together on a day-to-day basis, the things that influence how our generation makes decisions and how they ultimately live their lives. These are the things that impact those decisions and impact those people. And the only way to carry out an effective movement in any medium, to, to work for any cause, is to use art, to use those things that our generation is engaging with on a day-to-day basis. And this is where people like you come in, because you have been given gifts by God. Maybe you're a singer, maybe you play the piano, maybe you're a poet or a writer of some kind, maybe you like to take pictures, or maybe you are a web developer. All of these things are the kinds of things that have the capacity to truly make a difference in our generation. These are the things that really can make that happen. And ultimately, we believe that abortion will end through the political process. It will happen one day. We believe and we hope and we pray that one day on the floor of the state house at the Capitol building in Arizona, we believe and we hope and we pray that abortion will someday end on those grounds. That's what we're working toward. But before that can happen, we must recognize that the most effective way to organically create a movement and a culture and to start something that can really change things, the only way to do that is to do it through art, to do it through the talents and the gifts that God has given you. Josiah, I'd like to bring you back. Josiah is the CEO of Voices for the Voiceless, and he's working every day to make this dream of ours a reality. Yeah, Jesse, I mean, I mean, one of the core commitments of Voices for the Voiceless, and this is another one that I didn't bring in originally, was that we want you to do what God made you to do and do it to end abortion. There are so many people, I, I guess for a long time before the creation of Voices for the Voiceless, there was, there was a void. If you were a young person who was a creative and you had a lot of talent, you wanted to get involved in the pro-life movement, the way to do that was to start a pro-life group on your campus or get involved in one uh, or pick it in front of an abortion clinic. All of those things we can look at and, you know, regardless of what opinions you have about them, um, they are standing for the pro-life cause. But there was a real void, a lot of talent that was being unused uh, in the pro-life movement. You're talking about musicians and photojournalists and filmmakers and everyone in the world who creates culture, who has the real power to make abortion unpopular and illegal forever. And their potential was being untapped or it was being uh, relegated to music um, or culture that was only designed for Christian consumption and not created to reach the masses, the people on the other side of the aisle in the millennial generation who might not agree with us. 
so much untapped potential. And what Voices for the Voiceless is doing is channeling that by creating a movement of artists and storytellers. Um, and what people might not know listening to this show is you're 17 years old. At Voices for the Voiceless, we're all pretty young. Uh, but you have a story yourself about your emergence uh, as one of the most compelling voices um, in the pro-life movement. And I wondered if you would share a little bit about that. Absolutely. So my career, if you will, as someone who likes to talk in front of a microphone, really began in my living room. I liked to play baseball with a little rubber bat and a little flimsy ball that my mom was okay with me hitting around the living room and I would play baseball and I would broadcast the games out loud for the entire household to hear and that's what I did as a child and that's really how this came about I enjoyed broadcasting baseball games and I eventually realized that the gift of voice talent is something that can be applied not only for sports, but for anything. And especially today in the industry of podcasting, which has become so popular, you can literally talk about anything and people will listen. And that's really what I've been able to do. At Voices for the Voiceless, I've actually started a podcast, which is one of the projects that we run, called Unheard. And every week... For eight weeks, I interviewed a member of this community of creatives that we're building. I interviewed all of these artists and innovators and storytellers that we've been talking about today. And through the gift that God has given me, I was able to share those stories that those people have with the world. And today, I am honored to be able to use that gift to communicate this message in any way that I can. If you would like to listen to the Unheard podcast, and I hope I hope you do, please visit soundcloud.com slash unheard podcast. You can see all of our shows there, and you can keep up to date. At Voices for the Voiceless, um, and uh, yeah, we have a lot of stories just like Jesse's. And um, we have an invitation for those of you who are listening. Uh, for many years, Voices for the Voiceless had our base of operations in Chandler, Arizona, uh, in our living room. And it was a fantastic base of operations. It worked for a long time. Uh, but as we got more and more serious as an organization, uh, we decided to take this to the next level. We became a 501c3 and then grew and grew with ambitions to transform uh, the city of Phoenix and, and then soon uh, hope many of the big cities around the United States of America. And we moved our home base of operations to downtown Phoenix. And we actually have an event coming up on Saturday, April 30th. That's this Saturday. It's an open house between 7 p.m. and 10 p.m. at our new headquarters in downtown Phoenix, where you'll get to meet all of the creatives that we are working with. Our team, we have 22 of the most compelling and inspiring voices in the pro-life movement, all millennials together, um, basically aspiring uh, with great ambition to reach the next generation for life and to make abortion unpopular forever. 
and you're going to get to meet them at this open house event in downtown Phoenix. And we want to invite you to that event um, from voice from all of us really at Voices for the Voiceless. You can find out more information about that event at vftv.org slash expo. That's vftv.org slash expo to find out more about our organization. Now, Jesse, when you say that we're bringing together young people who truly understand how to reach the next generation, it's not just because they're young. Because they operate within this, uh, within this generation doesn't mean that they totally understand how to convert the pro-life message to something that will resonate with their peers, but it means they have a good start, right? But at Voices for the Voiceless, we are also ambitious in our messaging. I mentioned the message, be the dad you wish you had. Mm -hmm. And when we ask our creatives to communicate a message in their music or in the films that they make or in the things that they create, we're not just asking them to generically uh, communicate the pro-life message however they wish. Um, We're giving them some direction as to the messages that we think resonate with our generation uh, like like no other. Um, Now, in addition to to the messages that we talked about before, uh, I want to highlight this. We talked about fatherhood, but how do you reach the young uh, pregnant girl in college who's afraid that an abortion will destroy, or sorry, that carrying the the child to to term will Mm -hmm. destroy her entire life and ruin the future that she has ahead of her. What message can we communicate to that? Obviously, it takes a lot of compassion. And as a movement, we need to be committed to not just telling her what to do, but standing arm in arm right with her every step along the way and to communicating messages that affirm that. One of our favorite messages to communicate at Voices for the Voiceless, again, if you had to put it in a hashtag, would be something like this. Hashtag moms study hard. (laughs) We believe that we should have a culture where if somebody gets pregnant in college and they carry their child to term, that isn't weird. Rather, that woman is recognized for having the courage that she truly does have. She's not sacrificing her future as much as making way um, for the exercise exercise of extraordinary selflessness as she pursues her dreams. We need to be communicating that message, that moms can go to college, that they can study hard, and that you should be the dad you wish you had. Fatherhood, motherhood, those things have been torn apart by abortion in our generation, and it's time we reclaim them. It's time we communicate the pro-life message to the people in our generation like they've never heard it before. This message is taking over the city of Phoenix. We'd invite you to get involved and learn more at our event this Saturday. Again, visit www.vftv.org expo to learn more. You're listening to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Jesse Friedman filling in for Tom Brown today, and we will be back in just a few minutes. Welcome back to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Jesse Friedman filling in for Tom Brown. And today we are talking about how Voices for the Voiceless is impacting our generation. I'm here with the CEO of Voices for the Voiceless, Josiah Friedman. And Josiah, we've been talking already on this show about the message that Voices for the Voiceless is trying to communicate. And one of the mediums through which you guys are communicating that message is through a project called Unsung. Can you talk a little bit about the Unsung project? 
Jesse, if you flash back to a story that I like to often tell, in 1791, the man William Wilberforce, the man who would eventually abolish the slave trade in Great Britain, decided to embark upon this great journey. And he met with immediate resistance. This was an economic issue, not a human issue, many people said. And Wilberforce had to dramatically change that. So he went to a friend of his, a friend by the name of William Cooper. Cooper was one of the most renowned poets in Great Britain at the time. And Wilberforce asked Cooper to help. Cooper said he was willing to get involved. And so Cooper wrote a poem. And it wasn't his best work, but it was a good one nonetheless. It was called The Negro's Complaint. It told the story of slavery from the slave's perspective. And it set off a chain reaction in which people would talk about the image of God dwelling in white and black the same. Artisans like Josiah Wedgwood joined in this movement. Josiah Wedgwood, the creator of all the pieces of China used by the British aristocracy, created an emblem uh, of a slave in chains that read above it, Am I not a man and a brother? That he circulated all throughout the nation. Hmm. You had other poets like Samuel Taylor Coleridge who jumped on board. And soon enough, it was said a year after Cooper wrote his piece, The Negro's Complaint, that it had been set to music and the children sung it in the streets. At Voices for the Voiceless, we believe that what's sung in the streets is just as important as what's decided in the Oval Office. Mm. And so we're bringing together musicians to communicate this message by sharing their story through the amazing and excellent art that they're making. At, in the Unsung Project, that looks like bringing together a collective of musicians to reshape the conversation about abortion in America. We're providing stages for young up-and-coming musicians who really want to make it to communicate their message in the city of Phoenix. And in an exciting development, we're actually moving this movement from the driest place in America, arguably, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, to one of the wettest, <laughs> Seattle, Washington. And that's something that actually, it's, it's an incredible development. Uh, we're going to be trying stuff out there starting on Saturday, April 30th. Josiah, we've been talking a lot about what Voices for the Voiceless does and why we do it. But I think now it would be helpful for our audience to get a glimpse of what it looks like to be a pro-life activist in this way from the artist's perspective. So I'd like to play a clip from an interview with one of the members of the Unsung Project, Grace Taylor. What aspects of a spoken word piece do you think make it compelling? Um, I think... <laughs> When you can speak out of less defense um, and just as if what you're saying is truth, I think that's incredibly compelling, along with um, just being personal. Hmm. I think um, kind of just burning bridges between, uh, you know, me and the next human being, uh, we struggle with mostly all of the same things yeah. um, in different ways, maybe. Um, and so when it's just a level playing field and, and um, you know, speaking truth, I think that that's that can be compelling. So is it about kind of um, making yourself relatable to your audience, do you think? Right, right. So when someone is listening to one of your spoken word pieces, what types of emotions do you want them to feel while they're while they're in the audience, while they're watching you? What do you want them to feel? Um, I want people to 
be curious enough to, um, if not look into certain things that I'm talking about, at least thinking about it. Um, uh, I, I'd like to talk about things that aren't typically talked about, um, that need to be talked about. And so hopefully, I, I hope that people walk away interested at least. For for our listeners who maybe haven't heard you do spoken word before, do you think you could give us a, a brief demonstration <laughs> of what of what that's like? <laughs> sure. Okay. As a human being to intervene in this galaxy, oh, it would be a fallacy to stake the claim of us equating to a cosmic mistake because no two people are exactly the same. I have identical twin brothers who are practically the opposite of each other, but supposedly we're just nature's mother's mistake. Miss, take that myth away. I don't have that much faith. You can't even explain vision. And there's still a possibility that we could be staring at the same sight, not seeing the same thing. That's artistry. Proves to me that there's an artist behind the scene. Please. Tell me why my heartbeat doesn't ask me to sign a form of release in my chest or on my sleeve. It just beats life. Wow, that's uh, that's really impactful. I can, especially last night, because I think did you perform that exact one mm-hmm. last night? And I could see people in the audience just really, um, really captivated by what you were saying. Um, I'd like to ask you uh, another question. Um, almost everything that we do at Voices for the Voiceless revolves basically around one question that we want people to answer. How has abortion affected you? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you have a really profound answer to that question. And part of that was in that song or that uh, spoken word. So I'd like to ask it to you. How has abortion affected you? Um, growing up, I grew up in a culture, I guess. I grew up in Southern California. Um, where abortion is very accepted to the point where it's it's just not a conversation. It's almost a part of life, and so it's um, more of an assumption that it's right. that abortion is is cool and it's fine. Right, it's fine, and most people have done it, so why hmm. not? You know. Um, yeah. And I I didn't grow up with the knowledge that um, my parents had partaken in um, abortions previous to having me and previous to having. Um, two of my other brothers, um, when my parents were in high school, my mom was pregnant, um, at her senior year, during her senior year of high school, and, um, you know, she decided to go behind her parents' back and have an abortion, which almost, um, killed her, um, it was just bad, and she didn't even really know that it was, uh, that bleeding profusely for weeks wasn't normal, and so... Um, she spiraled into a, just a really dark depression. Um, and so when she got out of high school, she had my oldest brother, Garrett, on purpose to basically fill that void. And, um, you know, uh, my, her grand, her parents, my grandparents weren't too excited about, you know, having a baby out of wedlock. 
um, for their youngest daughter. Hmm. <laughs> and so um, they told her basically, you know, don't ever come to us again and say that you're pregnant outside of marriage. Um, but at the time that they said that she was already pregnant, and so she went and had another abortion. Wow. Um, and two after that. And so in total, um, my parents had aborted four children. And so for most of my life, I didn't know that. Um, but I, I, you know, it came up when I think I was about 13. And so, hmm. um, so ever since that, you know, was out in the open, it's been kind of, you know, it made me curious as to just how real it was, how real the fact that I, I have four siblings that are now not here, hmm. um, that just became a reality and it, it really showed me just the devastation of it um you know like it, it it wasn't life to me before it was my siblings and um now it is <laughs> now I see it as that hmm. what was what was like the first thought that came to mind when you first heard that story um I was really confused I like I didn't hear it all at once but I heard that there was four, um, four, four abortions. And, you know, I thought about the fact that there's four of us, you know, I have three older brothers currently. Um, and it just, I couldn't help but think like, what would they've been like? Um, and like, how, how would my relationship be with them? Or, you know, my family would just be so different if that was, Mm. um, still a part. I think sometimes uh, pro-life people can kind of become overly involved with showing why everyone should be pro-life and just Mm -hmm. explaining their side of the story. But pro-choice people have a reason. They have a reason for being pro-choice and making that decision and having that opinion. So as a person who's been drastically affected by abortion personally, how do you think you would answer that question? Why are people pro-choice? I think that most people who are pro-choice don't have a full knowledge of what it means to be. Uh, I don't think that most people would just outright say, or, you know, I've never ran into anybody who would just outright say, oh, it's okay to end a life. Um, But it's just not seen as life. Mm. And so I, you know, when, if you don't understand it as as life, then it's hard to um, care for it. Um, you know, there are many, like, difficult situations as far as rape or just difficult circumstances that would just not permit, you know, raising a child. Yeah. Um, which are legitimate. hmm But the life is also legitimate. And so I think, you know, that obviously there are other um, outlets to having a child, um, but I think, you know, to be in the pro-life movement largely is, is based off of a lack of understanding of, of what life is. Josiah, for people who might know someone like Grace, who has the type of talent to really contribute to this pro-life movement, what would you recommend that they do? This Saturday, Jesse, I would recommend that they come see an exclusive showcase of all the people who are reaching the next generation for life at Voices for the Voiceless at our new headquarters at downtown Phoenix. More information there at vftv.org slash expo. 
You're listening to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Jesse Friedman filling in for Tom Brown today, and we will be back in just a few minutes. Back to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Jesse Friedman filling in for Tom Brown, and today we are talking about how Voices for the Voiceless is impacting our generation. So I'm here with the CEO of Voices for the Voiceless, Josiah. And Josiah, already we've talked a lot about the message of Voices for the Voiceless and about what it means and why it is the way it is. But what is the vision for Voices for the Voiceless moving forward? Jesse, we're bringing together a movement of artists and storytellers who I believe can make abortion unpopular in our culture forever. I think we can end abortion with these people. And put simply, when it comes to reaching millennials, 22% of our generation was aborted. We are the remainder. We are the survivors. We are the 78%. And we give names, faces, and dreams to our unborn peers, brothers and sisters, neighbors and classmates who never made it. We were born for this. We are the only storytellers capable of directing the compassion of an entire generation, our own, toward the unborn. So we're going to bring together musicians, photojournalists, techies, comedians, chefs, authors, filmmakers, fashion designers from all across the United States of America to reach our generation and to challenge them to think about the whole story of the answer to this question, how has abortion affected you? That is really impactful. The message the Voices for the Voiceless brings, the way that it brings that message. Josiah, for people who are listening, how do they get involved? Voices for the Voiceless is really excited to now be based right in the heart of the first city that we're trying to change, Phoenix, Arizona. We want to invite you to the exclusive showcase of our new uh, headquarters in downtown Phoenix, the Expo, on Saturday, April 30th. More information there at vftv.org slash expo. That's vftv.org slash expo. Or if you're a creative who wants to get involved or you want to back the community of creatives that's about to change the world forever, visit us on Facebook. Thanks again for listening to Coin and Neon Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I've had a great time today guest hosting for Tom Brown. Once again, if you'd like to get involved with our movement, please visit www.vftv.org slash expo. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.